This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Amid high inflation and a federal minimum wage stuck at $7.25 an hour for more than a decade, many states are found to be denying benefits to a majority of their welfare applicants. According to recently released figures, many states are simply not distributing billions of dollars of funds from the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, or TANF, program. Why is that the case? Joining me to help answer that question is Hannah Dreyfus. She's the Abrams Reporting Fellow at ProPublica. She wrote the story, States are hoarding $5.2 billion in welfare funds, even as the need for aid grows. Welcome to the program, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Tell glad me. to be here. Thank you. Tell me about the, the data, first of all, that you had access to, that you wrote about. Where does this data come from? And in broad strokes, what is that data telling us? Yeah, absolutely. So the data that I had access to um, was data that's provided by the federal government. Um, the information specifically that caught my interest for this story was the amount um, of federal dollars that each state receives each year to fund the TANF program, which stands for Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. And the information, the data goes on to share how much of that lump sum that each state is given is being used um, towards helping needy families and how much of it is actually not going unused and rolling over for future years. Um, so what was very interesting to see is that even as poverty rates were increasing, especially um, given COVID and the financial circumstances that so many families found themselves in after being faced with the pandemic, the number of dollars that most states had in reserve through TANF funding continued to go up. And that's really what caught our interest, the huge cumulative amount of dollars across the United States that was intended to be helping needy families that in fact was sitting unused. So why, uh, why did this happen? And, and, and are there some states that are worse culprits than others? Who, who can you point out? Give us, let's start naming names of states. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are definitely some states that are worse culprits than others. And we calculated that by dividing the amount of, of, of money and unused TANF dollars each state had by the number of people in that state living at or below the poverty line, um, the federal poverty line. So um, it was an interesting collection of states that were sort of the worst offenders in not distributing money meant for, as cash assistance for the poor. Um, we saw Hawaii was in the top three, um, Maine and Tennessee. Uh, so it, it definitely wasn't necessarily states that had, um, I mean, a lot of the states sort of in the top 10 worst offenders um, are states that have a record of, of not wanting to distribute cash widely to um, those in poverty because of myths surrounding welfare um, and the reasons that people seek cash assistance. But 
there are, are other states that don't match ideologically into the top three, um, like Hawaii and Maine, which, um, you know, led, led us to ask some questions. You know, why is this the case that these states have so much in reserve um, and, are, and so much that um, is not being used by the people in the state that need it? I mean, Hawaii and Maine are, are reliably blue states. Hawaii in yeah. particular is not a cheap place to live. In fact, has, yeah. if, you know, maybe the, one of the highest costs of living in the nation, if not the highest. Yeah, yeah. Well, Hawaii was difficult to find an answer to. Um, their Department of Human Services wasn't um, all that responsive. Um, but Maine was a really interesting case study uh, because Maine had a pretty drastic shift in, in leadership in the state um, between the past governor and the current governor. And um, that is what sort of accounts, according to a lot of advocates in the state, for, for this huge amount of tennis reserve that built up. Um, under the previous um, governor who slashed welfare and, and made a very intentional effort to do so, um, a lot of the um, welfare assistance that would have been more readily distributed under um, a democratic governor um, were sort of withheld. Now that there has been a shift in administration, there is a, a, a concentrated effort to uh, make programs that make the TANF funds accessible again to the poor people in the state who need it. However, during the time that, um, you know, during a couple of, of, of years, during the previous administration's um, while they were in charge, a lot of poor people were actually kicked off the TANF program despite demonstrating considerable need, like um, the woman who I profiled in the story, right. um, Bonnie Bridgeforth, who had a pretty incredible story of being the sole breadwinner for her family of, of five children, expecting her sixth child and being turned away from the TANF office because somehow her family didn't demonstrate enough, um, enough need um, based on the state's e extremely rigid calculations um, then when she was applying for who could qualify for this program. And so what is the reasoning or what was the reasoning, at least in Maine, that people like Bonnie were given? Um, how, how did, you know, she, she was earning, you said, eight fifty an hour supporting a large family. There's, if anybody would be eligible for welfare aid, you might imagine somebody like her would be. So what was the reason given for her being denied? And was it typical for other denials? Absolutely. So when she was denied um, welfare from the TANF program, she was told that she no longer, her family and her children no longer met the quote unquote deprivation standard um, that was necessary to qualify for the TANF program. And the reason that was in Bonnie's case is because her, her ex-husband who had been incarcerated was released from jail. And so even though he was estranged from the family and not providing financial support for the family, 
since he was no longer incarcerated, the family switched from being a one-parent household to being considered a two-parent household. And a two-parent household had a much larger deprivation standard for the children and the family to receive TANF than a one-parent household. So wow. you see the extent to which um, uh, parents and uh, working parents who were trying to meet the standards so that they could stay on this welfare program were being denied just because uh, and, and penalized just because there was another adult in 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 the picture even if, even if that adult wasn't contributing contributing financially towards the family um, the question you ask of why why is this situation why is it that states continue to have so much in TANF reserves when there are so many people who desperately need this money. And what advocates um, were telling me and what the data shows is that applications for TANF are actually going down, which means not that less people need this help because data shows that poverty rates are going up. And in each state, more and more people are struggling to meet their basic needs. But what it shows is that the poor have lost trust in this program. Because, because they're tired of being denied and, and the high exactly. standards? Wow. Exactly. That's they're tired terrible. of being denied. They're tired of having um, what, what a lot of people who had applied to TANF and had been kicked off the program um, or their applications had been dismissed completely told me is that it affects the dignity of somebody who is experiencing poverty or facing um, the challenge of trying to keep a roof over their heads and over their family's heads to to go to a program and to continue to have to beg and to be told that your deprivation doesn't meet our standards um, really, uh, it, it, it is an, it's an indignity that people who are in this crisis have decided they can do without, and that they would almost prefer to do without. Because in a lot of cases, the payoff, even when they do apply for TANF, is so incredibly low. Uh, you see in certain states, um, and I don't have the data in front of me, but certain states, you'll go through an extensive application process and an extensive process in order to keep up with um, everything you need to be doing to stay on the TANF program, whether that means working a certain number of hours in a week, uh, even if you have, have children and childcare needs, et cetera, for a payoff of sometimes less than $300 a month. And so applicants to the program are dropping steadily and continue to drop steadily, even as need increases. And that's one of the things that we um, showed in a graph in, in our story, is that even as the reserve of TANF dollars across the board in, in pretty much every state has risen steadily um, for the past decade, um, applicants continue to go down. So there's more money um, and less of it is and less people are, are even bothering to ask for it because of all the hoops that they're being asked to go through just to be considered for, for a program, sometimes with minimal payoff. And this, of course, plays perfectly into the political agenda of those who want to cut welfare, who say, look, um, <laughs> there's not as much need, so we need to start cutting these funds. And, and, and uh, Hannah, this is a federal program. But yes. states are the ones that get to control the criteria and the application process and whether or not to accept or deny someone's application. Where does that go? Where does that come from? How do you trace that back? 
Yeah, so it goes all the way back to to 1996 um, welfare reform with the Clinton administration, and there was a, there's always a push and pull between whose responsibility is it to provide for um, people facing poverty? Uh, is it the federal government's responsibility and is it the state's responsibility? And TANF was supposed to be um, sort of a symbiosis of, of the two. The federal government would provide states a lump sum of, of, of money, which was supposed to and intended to be spent as cash assistance for impoverished people in that state. Um, and sort of in exchange, states were given a large amount of freedom um, to distribute the, the, the funds as they saw necessary. But what, what you ended up seeing, especially in states that had extremely rigid um, and unforgiving standards for who qualified for TANF, is is that the the money that was not being used as cash assistance because so few people actually qualified for the programs was being used to fill other budget gaps. Um, my, my colleague Eli Hager did an in-depth dive into how TANF funds were being spent in a series of states. He looked specifically at, at Arizona and Utah among, among, among some of the states. And in Arizona, he found that a lot of the funds that were intended as cash assistance, that were intended by the federal government as cash assistance for the poor people living in Arizona, were actually being used um, by, um, um, child protective workers to criminalize parents for the conditions of poverty in which they lived. So not only wow, was this that's... assistance, yeah, <laughs> it's an incredible, it's an incredible story um, by Eli Hager. I definitely recommend looking at looking at in practice um, what happens um, to some of this money that's intended was intended to actually be a backstop for people who needed help putting a roof over their heads, having the basic, fulfill their basic needs, um, gas, um, you know, food, basic supplies for living, and how that money was actually not being distributed to four families, but was being given to um, um, child welfare agencies to go into the homes and say that the, the the standards of poverty that these families were living in were unacceptable and sometimes trying to remove kids from the home because of it. It's a, it's a true uh, example of, of um, you know, how what was intended as something to really support poor families in crisis has been um, used because of very little oversight in terms of how states distribute these funds to actually um, criminalize poverty. It's it's really, really remarkable. And the fact that you can trace it back to the Clinton administration in the mid-90s is, of course, you know, something we should all be shaking our heads at. And, and that particular talking point is something that Republicans raised, Democrats appeased it, Republicans are moving on. And uh, now, of course, we see this new logic that uh, the reason why we have inflation is because so many people have so much money, apparently, right? That's the new uh, logic around inflation. The Wall Street journalists talking about how 
it's you know we, we need inf uh, unemployment to be higher in order to bring down inflation an economy that's built on essentially a permanent underclass is is what uh, we are all being told we have to accept well hannah what uh, what has come of your reporting what, you know it, when you have journalism that exposes such injustices, that is often, hopefully, the first step towards correcting the injustice. Uh, what has been the response so far to your article? Are, are grassroots activists in states where, you know, like Maine, like Hawaii, taking action on, on trying to get these TANF funds into the hands of the people who, who need them and who deserve them? Yes, absolutely. So the, the, the journalism that we did on TANF um, has had has had really promising impact. I think the the sort of shocking number that my story unearthed and just put in the headline five point two billion dollars of unspent welfare funds really um, started you know really got got some some movement going specifically in Maine they're working you know really hard on a series of different programs to try and make those funds more accessible to poor people including providing um, coaches for families on how to, um, you know, sustain jobs, pursue career opportunities, um, all the way to improving the system so that families can apply online instead of having to go wait at a welfare office to try and put in their paperwork to apply for TANF. Um, because people who are already in a state of poverty frequently don't have um, resources for, for someone to, you know, watch their children while they go, you know, travel down to the welfare office and stand, stand in line for who knows how much time to try and just get the paperwork in. Um, so making, making the program more readily accessible online, those are some examples of the way that Maine told me they're trying to deal with this surplus and address it. Um, in other states, there isn't as much of a drive to, to shift the system. Um, specifically, one state that comes to mind is Oklahoma, uh, which has a very rigid system um, and an, a, a, a very stringent system of accepting people for their TANF program and doesn't really have an intention to change or address that right now. Um, so we see some states that, that um, are you know, don't feel a tremendous amount of incentive to, to move towards distributing that unspent money. In places like Tennessee, journalism has really put a huge focus, and Tennessee is um, the state with the number one largest reserve of unspent TANF dollars. So journalism has really lit a fire underneath um, the state, to at, at least um, so that they're saying um, that they are implementing various different programs to distribute the funds. Um, you know, and and local journalists have and will continue to do a good job following up and seeing if um, they'll remain accountable to those promises. Um, one of the really great outcome of, of this reporting uh, was that I was contacted by a lot of journalists from different states with inquiries about how their state measured up and how they could, who, who they might be in contact to hold their state accountable for unspent um, TANF dollars. And I was happy to direct them to the federal data, which um, is linked to in our story and is accessible to anyone who has has the time to, to look at some Excel spreadsheets um, uh, to see exactly, you know, anyone, any um, 
any, any citizen, any anyone can look up um, how and if their state is distributing this lump sum of money that they receive annually, um, which is supposed to go to cash assistance to the poor, um, and can write to their um, state representatives if they feel that that money is not being distributed as it should. If there's a large amount of unspent dollars um, in a state where there's demonstra demonstra um, um, demonstrated need for these funds, um, you know, uh, not only journalists um, can shed light on the problem and can hold their local representatives accountable, um, lay people can, can do the same and can take an interest in this. And I think what's sort of most important and was stressed to me um, by the people who I spoke to for this article is that this program was explicitly intended to be cash assistance for people who are struggling at the federal poverty line. And at this point, um, the funds um, have not, in, in, in a great majority of states, have been going to fill other needs, but have not been going towards that um, intended goal. Um, because there's such a stigma against distributing cash to people who are in need. Um, there is a stigma th that, um, that says that they're not working hard enough or that they're um, trying to sort of cruise on state funds. And that's truly not the case. What we're seeing is that people are struggling to get by people with families like Bonnie, um, who was working at a job at 8.50 an hour to support her, her family of five children as a single mom. Like these are the people who, who need, who need the support and the, um, the, the indignity of, of having to apply and reapply and then frequently be denied from this program is seeing is, is, is showing up in the numbers of people actually applying to this program declining despite need increasing pretty much across across states. Mm. Well, I want to thank you so much, uh, Hannah, for joining us today. We'll post a link to your article from our website. Best of luck to you. Thank you. I appreciate your time. My guest has been Hannah Dreyfus. She is the Abrams Reporting Fellow at ProPublica and wrote the story, States are hoarding $5.2 billion in welfare funds, even as the need for aid grows. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.